Good morning, Westgate. Amen. Does his love, does God's love ever fail us? It doesn't, right? Let's get up, let's sing about it. Come on.
I'm so happy to see you. Hello, live stream friends. Hope you're staying warm at home this morning. Uh, thank you guys for coming out. We're excited to worship Jesus together through song and the word and just hearing what God's doing in our lives. Um, a couple things on your way in. I hope you had the opportunity to pick up your sermon notes. Those are out on the tables with uh, information. Those are also available in the app. Um, and you will, we will be talking about Christmas today with some information in there. Um, also, we have um, our connection cards in the pews in front of you. For our friends online, you can find this uh, both in the app as well as um, on, on the QR code there. And we would love for you guys to uh, tell us who you are, what, what's been going on, if there's a way we can be praying for you, if there's information you would like about the church. So you can take that card if you're in here with us and drop it either in the offering or if you're a guest, we would love for you to hold on to that card and take it with you to our guest center after service where we have a team of people ready to pray with you, answer any questions, a small gift, etc. Just for us to know who's here and what's going on. We uh, just, yeah, we love connecting. That's exactly what we are all about here at Westgate Chapel. And then another thing that we're about that I get to share is that we are about serving together. That is uh, just rooted in our DNA of who we are and what we do. We want to reach our neighbors in the nations. We want to show and share the gospel with Jesus' love. And so I have a couple opportunities, three, one, two, three, that I'm going to share with you this morning when we're talking about Christmas time. So last week you heard Steve share that we are um, published our Christmas calendar of what's going on at Westgate. And there was a whole bunch of opportunities to attend, serve, invite people to come join you at Christmas Eve and just be intentional with our Christmas season. So today we're going to build on that and say there's three ways that you can serve this Christmas season uh, with one another and we're excited to do that together. So speaking of serving, I want you to think of a time where you got to serve somebody and it was that you go to bed with that like tired joy, right? That joy at the end of the day when you're like, that was wild. I took a risk. I didn't know when you serve people, it's always a little messy. You never know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly like tonight's Thanksgiving event, there's a, a risk, but also there's some reward and some joy that comes with that. And so we're going to share about one of the opportunities that is called Bless a Child. My friend Heather is here. Um, that's the first one. You can welcome her out. When we're thinking about serving this season, we don't know where we're busy, but Heather's going to share about our first option, which is Bless a Child. What is Bless a Child? All right. Bless a Child is an opportunity we have to provide Christmas for children and teenagers in North Toledo through our partnership with that neighborhood church. And um, there are three ways that we need help to do that. The first one is um, we will have about 100 children and teenagers who um, need to be matched and shopped for. Um, we have wish lists from them that are starting to trickle in. So we are looking for people who would be willing to sort of adopt a specific child and shop off of their wish list. Um, in addition to that, we accept donations of generic toys and gifts. This um, 
helps us the day of the Christmas store at that neighborhood church to fill in the gaps, allow parents to personally pick out an item for their children at the store that we set up. There are pictures on the screen. They set up the sanctuary like a store and um, are guided through there and can pick out an item personally for their children. And also, um, it allows us to provide Christmas for children who did not get registered by the deadline. Um, And then thirdly, on December 17th, the event that takes place that you're seeing pictures of at that neighborhood church, we need volunteers to come and wrap and wrap and wrap and wrap all (laughs) of the hundreds of gifts. Um, This is a fantastic opportunity because the parents of those children come through the building and it gives us a chance to connect with them and connect the gifts that are being given to the love of Jesus. Yeah, so this church in North Toledo, we we are going to represent them, right? This is not a Westgate event. This is that neighborhood church. In our partnership, we get to stand by their side, and this is just a huge deal for them to connect with the people in their neighborhoods. We know that the kids often don't have the most stable homes. They're moving often. If you want to share the statistic of how often kids move, but this is just a space for connection, right? And that's right. why it's so meaningful for TNC. Right. The statistic is that the kids in North Toledo move about 10 times in three years. And they usually those are forced moves or evictions, and so they don't get to really take things with them. They don't have moving vans and cars and things like that. They don't know where they're going. They might be staying with a relative or a friend. They leave most of what they have behind. And so this is an opportunity to step in and... Um, bless them through that. Yeah, and so over the last 15 years of partnership with TNC, we've just seen many, many stories of great connection made. Uh, we've had a lot of fun doing these projects. Uh, you can serve ahead by purchasing gifts ahead with your neighbors con- connecting that way and then going down and serving. And so I would love, if you guys know Heather, you guys know the Franz family's had a hard year. Uh, there's there's all sorts of different layers that have led up to this year. And when even approaching Heather, I'm like, is this, do you have space for this in your year? There's all these different things going on. And you said, yeah, there's still joy that comes from serving. Can you just share a story of one of the moments that keeps you going back, excited to be part of this year after year, even when life is hard and full? Sure. Well, I love providing Christmas for 100 kids. There's nothing better than that. But also, I just love the things that kind of happen Throughout the, um, throughout the ministry um, a few years ago. Well, I would say probably the biggest thing is, is that um, being able to demonstrate how extravagant God's love is. And so one example of that was a few years ago, we had a woman from Westgate who um, adopted a little girl to shop for. And she also signed up to wrap gifts at the store that day. And it just so happened she ended up wrapping the gifts that she had purchased and getting to meet the parent. Um, And that doesn't typically happen. It just was a God-ordained moment. Um, And when that father showed up to pick up the toys, he was in pretty rough shape. Um, He required several cups of coffee to be able to make it to the table to receive the gifts. But when he was able, Mark Bartlett from TNC um, took him over to the table to see the gifts that were going to be uh, wrapped for his daughter. And he just came unglued. He, he started crying. He, um, he was weeping, actually. And he just kept saying, this is too much. This is, this is too much. This is too much. I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And he just, I mean, he was just visibly shaken by the, by the extravagance of the moment. And Mark was able to lovingly um, tell him that the, these gifts were given out of the, 
out of the love of Christ and um, that God's love is extravagant and it isn't done on anything. It's not given based on what we deserve. And so it was just a beautiful moment for the gospel to be able to be shared. Um, And as it turns out, the woman who had bought the gifts and was there to wrap them had had a very difficult season in her own life and really needed to hear how extravagant God's love was for her as well. So um, it's moments like those that um, it's just far greater. One of the things is most of the parents of the children do not come to the church there. And so it's for some of them, it's the only day of the year they're in the building. And so it's just a really wonderful opportunity for us to be able to demonstrate Jesus's love for them that they might not get any other time. Yeah, it is God's extravagant love. And Christmas isn't the only time we do it, but it's really fun to do it around Christmas. Well, thank you, Heather, for sharing about Bless a Child. You guys can thank Heather. So we have this Bless a Child opportunity. Again, you can find out more online on the app or visit us over at the table. The second thing, I said we have three things, is our Christmas on Wilford event. That's our opportunity to invite our neighbors and church family. We're just going to have a big Christmas party. But for us to pull off this big event on December 10th, we need people to serve. So this is a picture of our prayer room. We've had people serving out in the parking lot. Thank you, Kayser family, um, helping with, uh, yeah, just each of the donation drives, the Seasons Eatings Cafe, the movie theater, crafts, et cetera. So that's another opportunity for us to serve together, which is fun. You'll meet new people or join your life group or whatever to to serve that evening. And we have two shifts so you can serve half and attend half and meet your neighbors. So we'd love for you to join us serving at Christmas on Wilford. You can find more information in all those places. And then number three, so we have Bless a Child, Christmas on Wilford is neighboring, number three. You guys know we're all about showing and sharing the gospel with our neighbors. And we understand that each of you guys have a different relationship with different people in your circles that you can meet this Christmas season. And as we kept talking about Jesus' extravagant love and what it means when he came for Christmas, uh, his birth on earth, we get to celebrate that. And culture is poised to talk about it. They want to celebrate. They want to do good things, uh, be together. And so let's, let's use that. Let's pray into it and see what God has for us to reach our neighbors Um, with his love this season. So those are the three things. I will be out over in the cafe if you want to talk about any of those invites to Christmas on Wilford, et cetera, et cetera. And we're just excited to see what God's going to do through us as his body this Christmas season. With that, we'd love for you guys to take a moment to greet somebody that's nearby.
pray, but let's continue with our worship this morning um, with a word of prayer and we'll continue to praise him. Heavenly Father, we just praise you, Lord, for, for God, just who you are, because you are worthy of our praise even before creation, because you are God. And Lord, we just praise you for so many things, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross for us, that we could accept him and have the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we can praise you in all circumstances, even when that is difficult, Lord. We consider that an honor and a privilege. And it is this morning, Lord, to gather together this morning to praise your name. It is blessed. We love you. We thank you for the many good things that you've given us because every good thing does come from you. We love you, Lord, and we lift up these praises to you this morning. Joy through the air. 
Heavenly Father, those are such amazing words. Older than time, they've been ringing in many of our ears forever. And during this season of thankfulness, we cannot forget to be thankful, as you say, in all circumstances. Sometimes it's easy, a lot of times it's not. But we know that your mercy and your grace are there every day, every morning's a do-over. And we thank you for that. Help us to always remain thankful and let this message this morning bring you glory in your name. Amen. Please feel free to share the offering and pass the buckets. Thank you. They shut off her mic, so I'll say it. Uh, we're going to take our morning offering right now. And so uh, if you are sitting here in the center aisles and would kindly take those buckets and just pass them out. I want to have this as just a moment again of worship for us. If you're a guest with us, just encourage you to allow that bucket to go by. Um, but uh, take our morning offering and give glory to the Lord as we do so. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. I'm just going to leave. Let's try that again. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. Hey, good, good. It is that week, is it not? There are so many things getting ready to happen this week. And to be honest, as we uh, approach Thanksgiving, there are a number of things for us to be thankful for. Uh, a couple of things that I am very thankful for, even just in this past week. Uh, number one, most importantly, I have never felt more loved in my life with the number of cans of cranberries that have shown up at my office. So... To those of you who either hand-delivered me some cranberries or snapped pictures at the store and told me where to go, I want you to know I think I'm stocked up for about three years. So, thank you so much. This is a, what a blessing. If you, if you weren't here with us last week, uh, just know I love cranberries. The store didn't have any, and this church has blessed me in abundance. So, um, secondly, uh, one other thing uh, that we are super excited about, not only am I thankful for, but I think our church family is thankful for. If you have not heard yet, Pastor Dan, who is our middle school pastor, got engaged to Libby this past week. We are super pumped and very excited for what God is doing in Dan and Libby's life and how he's brought them together. And so uh, in short order, we don't have a date yet, I believe, but it's coming and we're going to celebrate it heartily. So we are thankful, uh, thankful for that. So if you see Pastor Dan and Libby walking around, uh, especially Libby, she hates being pointed out. So be sure to walk up and be like, congratulations, super excited. So really great things that are going on. We, uh, we're in the middle of a series together entitled Be Thankful as 
we uh, approach this Thanksgiving season. And uh, last week, we began by talking about how it is that we develop uh, a heart of thankfulness, a heart of thankfulness for others, but especially a heart of thankfulness for God. And uh, as we looked into the passage of Scripture where Jesus has an encounter with 10 lepers, one who returns after being healed to give thanks, there were two kind of key points that we focused in on. Number one was this, is that a heart of thankfulness is never developed when I love the gift more than the giver. Uh, A heart of thankfulness is never truly developed when I love the gift more than the person or even the God who has given that gift to me. And so we settled on this last observation last week is that a heart of thankfulness is cultivated by a humility that enables me to see that the true gift is not what I have received itself, but the true gift is the giver. And that enables us to develop a true heart of thankfulness. Uh, A number of people, it was interesting, after last Sunday reached out to me, whether it was by email, by text, uh, some phone calls, uh, to, to say and to tell me how the Lord was actually speaking to them in this past week from that message. Often uh, what I heard from people was that um, they realize that they're often thankful for what they have, but realize the need to be even more thankful for the people that God has placed in their life, but as well to learn to express even more their thankfulness to God on a regular basis for all that he is doing. You know, one of the things is, is that I find often happens is that we may be thankful in our heads, but it's that expression of gratitude that is often lacking, not just also in what we say, but also in how we live and what we do. And so these were such great reminders. It was an encouragement to me to hear how God is working and moving in in your life and the things that he's speaking into you. Uh, And the truth is, is coming out of last week, there are so many things for us to be thankful for in our lives and so many people to be thankful for. I spent time this past week just sitting down and thinking through and praying through a list of things that I'm thankful for and people and how I'm thankful to God for all he's done. And as I made that list, what I recognized is there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things and a lot of people that bring a lot of joy into my personal life. But have you ever noticed that as many things as we may be able to list and say that we have to be thankful for, it seems that there are just as often many things that seem to rob us of our thankfulness. Some of those things can be trivial, while some of them can be excruciatingly painful. You know, when you think of the trivial things, it can be as simple as going to the mall, which I did this past week during the holiday season, and having those inconsiderate and times downright rude shopping mobs ruin your thankfulness for the season. Anybody here experience that yet as you hit the mall? Don't go. I don't want you to ruin it. But it can be trivial, and at the same time for many people, as we walk especially into this season, there are some really painful life circumstances that we're walking through that can cause us to lose our thankfulness. And I know that in myself, in my own life personally, but I also know for many of you doing life with you, that there have been a lot of things recently that feel like it could sap us of our thankfulness. Like the loss of a loved one, walking through financial hardship, receiving a bad health diagnosis, wrestling with broken relationships between our family or our friends, the pain of having a wayward child that walks away from the Lord, struggling through a broken marriage, 
wrestling with unfulfilled dreams, unsure if they'll ever be fulfilled. You know, at times as we move into this season, the last thing that we are thinking about is being thankful. And you might even think to yourself, you know, and look at me and say, Pastor Rob, like, seriously, when you consider the things that I'm walking through in my life right now, how in the world could you talk about thankfulness? Do you have any idea what my life is like? The pain that I'm walking through, how broken or alone that I feel, the fear that grips me. And if we're honest, in difficult seasons, the very last thing that we want to hear from someone is that we should be thankful. So enter the Apostle Paul into our lives this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn with me to the first passage that we'll take a look at. Very small passage found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In your notes, uh, I fat fingered it. It says verse 19, not 19, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And here what we're going to see is that Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica in a time where they are struggling, where they are suffering, going through persecution. And Paul gives what could feel like, you'll see here in your notes, a ridiculous and even insensitive command to the church in Thessalonica. What does he say in verse 18? He says, give thanks in all circumstances. When you're walking through suffering in difficult times, that sounds like a ridiculous command or even suggestion. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want you to think about with me for just a moment what it is that this church in Thessalonica was walking through. Letter A, you'll see that the church during this time was facing numerous religious opponents. The uh, Jewish community was probably one of the biggest uh, opponents that they were facing. No doubt the Jews, as Christianity began to fledge as as a religion and a belief, uh, the Jews were unhappy and because of it, they tried to stir up all sorts of trouble for Christians. But not only that, within Thessalonica, when we look at the history uh, behind this book, we also understand that within the city were many Gentiles who were ingrained into what we might call mystery cults, various different cults that worshipped all different sorts of deities. As well, they were involved in what would be known as the imperial cult. In other words, they worshipped Julius Caesar, considering that he, as the leader of Rome, was some sort of god. And here's the deal. When you worship the imperial cult, anything that raises up as a religious belief that claims that there is another king besides the king, Caesar, becomes a major issue for you that you want to stamp out. And this was the truth for Christianity. As they proclaimed that Jesus was the king, it became a threat to the people that surrounded them and to Rome itself. And so the church was facing opposition from many different religious opponents. And letter B, this led to persecution of the church that was continually growing. And we see it in a number of different ways. The persecution was growing that some people, because of their faith in Jesus, would have their property seized away from them. From other people, workers would be stopped from actually practicing their trades In other words, it would take away even their ability to provide for their families because of their faith in Jesus, because their their ability to practice their trade was being taken away. People might be shunned by their families for turning to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we read that some were also insulted, beaten, and even put to death because of their love for Jesus. And you think to yourself, this is the situation that the Thessalonians are going through, and yet Paul ends his letter to them with this command that on first glance could feel a little bit insensitive. Give thanks in all circumstances. Think about it. When you're grieving, when you're going through a difficult trial, when you feel like you're suffering, the last thing that you want to hear from somebody is, it's going to be okay. Give thanks to God, right? Oftentimes we look at people and think, how insensitive. So what is it then that qualifies Paul to make such a statement like this to the church? And I want you to think about it. I know nobody in scripture, aside from Jesus himself, that experienced such incredible opposition from men because of his faith in Jesus and endured suffering with his life consistently on the line because of his love for Jesus. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Because when we read this passage, it helps us to understand what qualifies Paul to make such a statement and encouragement to the church. Here's how he records what his life personally has been like following Jesus and spreading the good news of the gospel. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Like Paul literally goes through in this passage and he lists out the ways in which he has suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, truly giving him a qualification to speak from experience, being a pro on this issue of suffering for Jesus, to speak truth into the heart and life of the church and even into our own lives today, to help us to understand how it is that we can give thanks in all circumstances and so this morning, what I want us to do is to take a look at what we can learn from Paul that would enable us to give thanks in all circumstances. What is it that the church could learn from Paul, but also can we learn today from his words, from his experience, from his faith that would encourage us as we walk through times that seem to try to sap us of our own thankfulness in difficult seasons. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open up here in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. All throughout Scripture, we see Paul addressing the church in numerous places, in numerous ways, talking about the suffering that they were enduring, but the, enduring, but the need that was there for them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus as they walked through these moments and seasons together. And Romans chapter 8 is another one. And so as we look at that together, it'll also be here on the screen. Let's begin together in verses 18. 18 through 19. And look at the words that he speaks. He says this first. He says, For I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, the first thing that we see that Paul says to, again, to a church that is enduring suffering is this, letter A, that our suffering in this troubled world is real. The word, the Greek word that he uses here for suffering, not only relates to the human suffering that the church was facing, but also the suffering that Jesus himself experienced on the cross. He acknowledges that we live in a troubled world where suffering is real, yet it is also, he says, a momentary step in our journey as we move toward eternal blessing and glory. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He tells us that suffering is real, that it's painful, and we should expect suffering. For the believer in Christ, though, our suffering pales in comparison to the eternal glory that awaits us. It's the very reason that there is a huge difference in how believers in Christ and also non-believers grieve as they walk through suffering. An example that I would share with you is something that I often see at funerals that I perform. Like I can literally go into a funeral and simply by watching how people grieve, understand and have an idea of who is a follower of Christ and who is not. Because when you go to a funeral, what you see is that everyone grieves. But you can visibly see a difference between those who know Christ and those who don't. Why? Because those who don't know Christ have no hope when they grieve or suffer. When you are only living for this life, you can't look forward to any resolution of wrongs or any comfort for your soul. In death, that's it. There is zero hope. It's the very end. Their pain, their loneliness, their fear, their affliction serve no divine purpose, and there is no divine reward attached to it. And so their response is often one of great and incredible despair. Whereas with a follower of Christ, while grieving loss, often you will see and experience a twinge of hope what we might call an anchor in the midst of the storm or a foundation in their life that doesn't seem to be easily shaken. Because while our suffering may be great, we understand that this life is not the end and we know that God, what God holds for us is a very great reward, an eternal reward. Paul helps us to see this and understand this by saying, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When you weigh these two things on a scale, the glory that we will receive as followers of Jesus Christ far outweighs the suffering of our present time. But that still can leave us, whether non-believer or even believer, in a place of wrestling with the question, letter B, but why? Why must we suffer? Why must we experience these moments in our life that seem to sap us of our joy and of our thanks for, for the great things in our life? Why does God allow us to walk through this? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? If there is a God and he's in control, why doesn't he just stop it all? How could a loving God allow pain, evil, and suffering to continue? This is the same conversation that I had with a gentleman this past summer on an airplane flying to Mongolia. 
as I sat next to him and he began to share with me about who he was and asked and he learned that I was a pastor and I asked him, you know, whether or not he had faith. He shared that he kind of grew up in the Catholic church and then said, but I don't believe in God today. And his whole reasoning centered around this truth. Why not? I said, and his answer was because look at all the pain and suffering and evil that is rampant in this world. Wouldn't you think that if there was a God and you say that he's a God that's loving, wouldn't you think that he would just stop it all? Wouldn't you think that he would bring every last piece of it to a halt? And what's interesting is this conversation that I had with this man who didn't believe in God is the same conversation I have had over the years over and over again with students and with adults who are wrestling as Christians as they walk through suffering. Why would God allow this? What does Paul say? In verses 20 through 23 here in Romans 8, he says this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, be, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why is it that we experience this type of suffering and pain and evil in the world? Why? Because nothing in this world is the way that it was supposed to be. Absolutely nothing. What does Paul say to us? He says that the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, the punishment for sin and rebellion against God. When sin entered into the world, not only did God, not only were we separated from a perfect relationship with God, but sin also brought about the curse on the earth where nothing is the way that it was created to be by God. And I've often asked myself this question, why? Why does it continue this way? Why did God allow it this way? Why did God bring the curse not only on mankind, but also onto this world that would create a pattern of evil that often inflicts suffering upon us? And as I've tried to wrestle with this, the answer to this question of why, I often have gone back to this. When my children do something wrong, why do I punish them or allow them to experience the consequences of a decision? How many of you here have children? Raise your hand. Excellent. Next question. How many of you have ever been a child? Excellent. This applies to all of us. Good job. All right. Why is it? that I punish my children or I allow them to experience the consequences of their decision? It's because, is it because I'm so angry at their disrespect of me that I want to dole out hateful punishment and bring them harm? Only if you catch me on a bad day. Like seriously, okay? Not really. But for some people. Is it because I'm so angry that I want to bring harm to them? Or is it to help them to see that there's a better way so that they will choose what is right and experience the best that life and that God has to offer them? Why did God not only place a curse on mankind, but also set the world into a state of decay where nothing was the way that it was supposed to be? Is it because he intends to bring harm to us? Does God delight 
and watching his children suffer? Or did God purpose to allow us to experience the consequences of trying to provide a better life for ourselves outside of his provision so that we could see the futility of our choices and return to a right relationship with him where he would again pour out his blessing on us. You see, as I really dive into that passage in the book of Genesis and I look at the fall and Adam and Eve's choice to say, we can do this without God, we don't need his provision, we can provide better. When I look at God's curse that he places not only on mankind but the world, as I see a God saying, okay, I'm going to let you try but so that you will ultimately see the futility of that decision and return to me. But the only way that I can answer this question of whether or not God intends to harm us or he takes joy in watching suffering or if he has holy and good and loving purposes, the only way to answer that and to know whether or not God is for me against me is to understand the depth of his love. And let her see what Paul tells us what changes our perspective is our salvation through Jesus Christ, which is a present and a future reality. What does he say in verses 24 through 25? He says, for in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience Paul says it again in another place in Romans chapter 5. He says that God has demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the active way of rebelling against God, Christ died for us. What is it that changes our perspective? What is it that helps us to know that God is not against us? He doesn't want to bring harm to us, but that he is for us? It is in the very truth and fact that he sent his son Jesus into this world to provide a way of salvation. It's that while I was still a sinner, while I am still in the process of sinning against God, his depth of love for me is so great that he would send his son who lived a perfect life to come and to be put to death at the hands of his creation, to be hung on a tree and pay the, my price for sin, my death, my punishment, being crucified on a tree so that if I place my faith in him, I could be restored to a perfect relationship with God and experience again all of the blessing that he has intended for me. You see, it's in this hope that Paul says that even in the midst of great suffering that we can know that God is for us, for our salvation through Jesus Christ is a present but also future reality. Not only do we experience the blessed hope of eternity with God and get to know that that is our future, that God will walk with us in this life, but that one day we will reign with him and experience his glory in fullness for eternity. But it's even more than that. It's not just that God sent his son into the world and then he left and said, okay, you guys are stuck here to suffer and deal with this world until one day I return or you die and I bring you home. What we also read in scripture and what Paul makes abundantly clear to us is that even in the midst of our suffering, God is with us. And God knows us more intimately than we could ever imagine. 
Letter D, even more, God has not left us alone to fend for ourselves. Look at what Paul says in verses 26 and 27. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does Paul say? That God, in the depth of his love for us, sent his Holy Spirit into this world to be our helper, to be the one that in our weakness and when we struggle and when we're struggling to find thanks and when we're struggling under the weight of suffering and grief, that he is there to give us the strength supernaturally that we need from God. And what I love is that when I read these words that Paul pens here is it helps me to understand just how intimately God knows me. Just how intimately he is involved with every piece of my fiber. That the very spirit of God intercedes before the throne of God with groanings that are too deep for words. He searches my heart. He knows me better than I know myself. That even when I don't have the words to speak, he speaks them before the throne of God on my behalf. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He gives us strength. He knows us so intimately when we feel completely alone, when our grief is too much to bear, when we don't have words ourselves to express to God the suffering and the pain in our hearts. The Holy Spirit sits before the throne of God expressing us perfectly to him. A very good friend that Rochelle and I met a number of years ago named Megan Marshman uh, we met her at a camp where we used to take our students to a Christian camp in California for years. She's just awesome woman of God, incredible servant of the Lord. Uh, not only did she serve at this Christian camp and minister to students for a number of years, she was on staff at a church in California we went to uh, prior to coming here to Westgate. And uh, just a few years ago, she began walking through one of the most painful moments in her life that could have sapped her of all thanks and all joy as she lost her husband of just a few years to a sudden heart attack. After having waited so many years to be married and finally having this relationship with the person she loved so deeply, to have it stripped and taken away was gut-wrenching. And in this video that we're going to watch, she uses the giftedness that God has given her to help us in a very creative but also personal way to understand the significance of this passage and how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let's watch it together.
Music is for the soul, isn't it? It speaks to us. But sometimes I've had this experience where music seems to be able to say the things I'm already feeling. I hear it and think, that's it. That's exactly it. That's what I feel. <laughs> Things I maybe even didn't know or didn't know how to say. There's a story I once heard about the moon. In it, every night, he looks in on these small scenes taking place on Earth. One night, he watches through the window of a prison cell as a man carves a message on the wall, his final words, because a carriage is waiting outside, ready to take him away. Maybe to his death. And afterward, once the carriage is long gone, the moon leans in to take a closer look, wanting to know what profound words the prisoner might have written as his last goodbye. But he's surprised. Because what's written on the wall isn't words at all. The man's final farewell was a melody. The moon summed it up well. When words fail, sounds can often speak. We don't have the words to say or even to pray. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, like a friend, helps us. He prays for us with groaning too deep for words. When I can't find the words, the Spirit makes sounds that speak. When joy has me tripping over what to say or disappointment makes me scared of what might come out of my mouth or when grief has made everything feel so foggy I can't find the words. In those moments, the spirit Fully knowing the depths of those feelings makes deep, guttural, groaning sounds that express me perfectly to God. That I'm known so well 
that I'm heard so clearly, that I'm expressed so personally by the God of the universe. I don't have the words. psalmist says it this way in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you, O oh Lord, know it completely. What Paul helps us to understand as we walk through seasons of grief and suffering is that God is so intimately involved in our lives and knows the very depth of our being and in our weaknesses. He sends the very spirit of God to help us, to give us strength because of the depth of his love for us. When I look at the totality of what Paul says, when I think about the things that rob us of our thankfulness in the midst of suffering or difficult seasons, I believe that his words here are so instructive. Letter E, that difficult circumstances that we face don't change the constancy of God's character, nor do these circumstances take him by surprise. Difficult circumstances do not change the constancy of God's character, nor does it take him by surprise. In verse 28, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that for those who love God, all things work together. For good, because God is good, because God is love, because God is faithful, because God is merciful, because God is gracious, because the God of the universe knows me more intimately than even myself. Because God has proven to us time and time again through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, that he is not against us, but he is for us. 
and that he is taking and using every circumstance of our lives, good and bad, to weave it together into a beautiful tapestry that will ultimately result in good, good for my life. As I grow deeper in my faith and my trust for God, as I yield more and more of my heart to him, and as he uses my life as a testimony to reach other people that they themselves would find their greatest hope, not in a world that will always fail them, but that they would find it in Christ himself. We know that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In the Old Testament, we see the prophet Habakkuk come to the same conclusion as he looks and he understands that God is going to use a foreign nation to take his people away and that they are going to endure hardship and suffering, he calls out against what he sees as injustice. He asks that same question, why, God? This doesn't match up to me. I don't understand why you would allow this type of suffering to come on the people that you love. And as God explains his purposes, as God helps him to understand the refining process that would take place in his people, and that he would ultimately bring them back again once into the land, Habakkuk lands in the same place that Paul and followers of Christ throughout the history of the world have come to. He says this in chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there is no, no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything feels like it's falling apart, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficult seasons, even that I don't understand, because I know that God is good, because I know that he intends good for me, because I know that he has shown me and proven to me the depth of his love, I can give thanks and take joy in the God of my salvation, no matter what it is that I walk through. Letter F, what we see is that Paul's command to give thanks in all circumstances, it isn't a call to not grieve. Here's a man who probably grieved more than anyone, the pain and the difficulty and the persecution and the suffering that he faced in his life. His command isn't a call to not grieve. He understood grief. But his command was to not lose sight of God's goodness amidst the grief and of the many blessings that you have presently and for eternity because of Jesus. Jesus is the very reason that you can give thanks in all circumstances. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its instructiveness to us. Father, I thank you for the examples of people like Paul that we see all throughout Scripture who have endured hardship and suffering and grief at times that may even seem far beyond what we experience, but Father, at minimum, is very similar in some ways. And I thank you for people like that who have the ability to speak into our hearts and to our lives and to say, that grief is real. That circumstance that you feel is painful. 
Yet don't lose sight of just how good God is and the promises that you have, not only for now, but for eternity. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would sow that in us this season. Whatever it is that people in this room may be walking through, the things that want to to sap them of their thankfulness as we walk into this season of giving thanks. Father, would you continually remind us of your goodness, of the depth of your love, the way in which you have proven it, the way in which you take and work all things good and difficult together for our good and to bring you glory. And in that, Lord, would you help us to cast our eyes continually to heaven and to give thanks for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the
church family, as we uh, close our service this morning, three quick things for you. One, if you've got something you would like prayer over this morning, maybe even as you sit here wrestling, you're like, man, my thankfulness has just been sapped because of the life experience. I would love somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with. Our prayer team would love that opportunity to pray with you this morning. And so uh, we have got Kathy and Keith that are up here this morning. We'd love to lead you over there as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I've never put my faith in Jesus and I want that hope. I want that assuredness and that joy that can only come from him. They would love that opportunity as well this morning to be able to talk to you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to help you to find that hope that can only be found in him. Please do not leave here today if the very spirit of God has been speaking to you and drawing you to himself. Secondly, I want to remind you uh, of another thing. I just lost it. Don't you hate it when that happens? Goodness, it's, 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 uh, it's a 46 moment. Okay. Um, the other thing that I want to remind you of is that next week coming up, as we conclude this series, uh, we're going to be concluding our Be Thankful series with an awesome Together Sunday. Together Sunday simply means that we're going to invite our children in to worship with us. By the way, older people, that's not an excuse to not come to church or to worship in jammies at home, okay? We are going to have a very creative family worship service next week where we take the things we've been talking about together over the last two weeks and we put them into practice together. It is going to be an incredible time of worship. I invite you to come back and join us as we follow up Thanksgiving by giving ultimate thanks to God. And then finally, last thing, we want to remind you that today we have coming up an incredible opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with a number of international students that are going to be entering into this building. Can I exhort you and can I encourage you to be praying for us tonight? Hundreds of students will come in here, many of them who do not know Jesus. And we can be so thankful for the opportunity that God is giving to us to be able to share the good news of the gospel with them. It was just a few years ago when I experienced really my first time serving at the International Thanksgiving Dinner. In the back rows of this section, I watched as a young lady walked in, sat down. She was from Iran, just off the plane a couple of days previously, never having the opportunity to have a Bible or to really hear the gospel. And I watched her as she sat in that pew, picked out that Bible and for 15 minutes furiously was flipping through it, so curious about what it would teach. What I want you to understand is that is the type of people that are coming here tonight. People who come from countries where they don't always have the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel and God is giving us an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. Would you be fervent in praying with me that God himself would be so present that his spirit would move and that people would come to faith as we share the gospel with them. I wanna encourage you to pray with me as we close our service this morning and that God would move powerfully tonight. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given us as a church to take the hope and to take the good news of your son, Jesus. The fact that we are known intimately by the God of this universe and that he loves us so much that he would give everything to draw us back into a relationship with you. God, that is what you've done. And would you help us tonight 
as we proclaim the good news of the gospel to people who don't know you, would your spirit move in their hearts and draw them to you that they would find that same hope in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, empower the many people that are here in this room this morning that will be serving tonight, that they themselves would have conversations of faith that draw people to you. And ultimately, God, would you be glorified. We give you thanks and we expect great things so that we can praise your name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Church family, thank you for worshiping with us today. If you would like to help set up for this evening, we have a ton of people that are transforming the building right now. If you have a few minutes to spare, stick around. We might even provide you lunch. So thank you. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.